0: Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance.
1: You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that endurance training doesn't leave any memory in your muscles. It turns out that your muscles don't have long term memory for exercises like running, biking, or swimming. That old adage that once you've been in shape, it's easier to get fit again is probably a myth, at least for endurance athletes. Relatively small study conducted in my wife's home country of Sweden in 2016 showed that when muscles take a break, they really don't maintain muscle memory from prior exercise. In the report, people trained one of their legs four times a week for three months, and then they took nine months off. And the study authors took skeletal muscle biopsies, ouch, from both legs before and after and found the cells in the muscles expressed over 3,000 genes in different ways after the exercise. But, after they had their fitness hiatus, the scientists couldn't detect any exercise-related genetic changes between the people trained and untrained, at least the people's legs that were trained and untrained. And the study author Malene Lindholm of the Karolinska Institute, where my wife also studied, says, we couldn't see any differences at the gene activity level. Most effects are lost by a month or two of no training. And uh, some study participants next trained both legs and they had similar results but all study participants grew lots of hair on their legs. Okay, that last part I just made up, but the rest of it was all good. How's that? I've never made up anything in a Cool fact of the Day until right now, after almost 600 episodes, I've been really patient. (laughs) What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io Dave for a seven-day free trial. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. (laughs) This is the first episode I've recorded after coming off stage at the Bulletproof Biohacking Conference that we held at uh, the Beverly Hilton this year. And- Man, it was, it was a pretty epic, pretty epic uh, conference. I had, I had so much fun there. We had 1,200 people and just the best time, best yet out of six years. So that constant improvement thing, I think we nailed it this year. And today's guest uh, wasn't at the conference, uh, which is a very sad thing uh, and something that I'm going to shame him for uh, later on the show.
2: Oh, you gotta invite me.
1: And he's, uh, oh, <laughs> an invitation,
2: information.
1: <laughs> what, you don't you on social media? <laughs> his name is uh, Scott Carney. He's an award winning investigative journalist and anthropologist who writes these cool stories that blend narrative, nonfiction, and ethnography. And if you're going, what the heck is that? Don't worry. This is totally tied into biohacking because his reporting has taken him to some of the most dangerous and weird corners of the world. He also wrote a New York Times best-selling book called What Doesn't Kill Us, How Freezing Water, Extreme Altitude, and Environmental Conditioning Will Renew Our Lost Evolutionary Strength. And this just came out in paperback. And now you understand why I've got Scott on the show because these are classical biohacking themes. The idea that the environment around you controls your biology, well he put it to the test because he's a little skeptical, kind of like I am. So we're gonna talk about human endurance, and why effortless comfort is hindering your health,
2: and how the wedge can flip your neurological script. Scott, welcome. Thanks a lot for having me on, man. And thanks a lot for citing my book in Game Changers. You, 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 you give me a shout out. I really appreciate that. All right, it was, it was actually really cool
1: to be able to cite you in Game Changers. Scott, you are kind of an odd duck because you were gonna get a PhD in anthropology which is mm-hmm. a weird thing to get a PhD in anyway. Yeah, And then you said, oh no, I'll get journalism, which this is a bit of trivia. It is the lowest paid on average career you can get from a four-year degree, did you know that?
2: Anthropology or journalism?
1: Journalism is actually lower than even sociology or anthropology, believe that's, it or not.
2: That's actually shocking to me because I know a lot of very broke anthropologists <laughs> in the world. Um, but it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't really surprise me because journalism is very difficult and I did not get a journalism degree. I, I am, I am somewhat proud of this is that I dropped out. I got to the dissertation of my, of anthropology um, and, and I got to that point where it was like, oh man, I'm going to write this really cool ethnography um, on, um, at that point it was a Bollywood film. I lived in India for a long time. We can go into that later. Um, and then I was like, wait, but only five people are going to read me. And I was like, oh no, journalism. And, and I made the switch. <laughs> Uh, and I made it in a funny way is that, um, I was broke, uh, as grad students are. And, and it was the summer. I was like, oh man, I need money. And I looked in the back of the newspaper and I, and, and it was like, it was actually the back pages of the onion, which was, I had a print Um, edition at this point. Love the onion. And it, and it said, you know, come join our clinical trial for the erectile dysfunction drug Levitra. And, you know, we'll pay you like five grand to like sit in penis on penis poppers for a month. And I was like, that sounds hilarious and it's good money. And so I joined this clinical trial and I wrote about, and I met all these people who were making a living going from clinical trials. I read this
1: piece. That was you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was a fantastic piece. Oh my God. That's hilarious. I did not know that was yours.
2: Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, that was like one of, that was probably the first big piece that I ever wrote. And, um, and, and then I was like, wait a minute, there's money to be had in journalism and I get to have adventures around the world. Uh, it, it made me really psyched. And then I, you know, I started writing for Wired and Playboy. And no, the you, you kind of got to be a, a badass.
1: So the asterisk in the journalism, that's the average that people make. Huh, but great. I mean, you wrote for Wired, and by the way, it hasn't published yet, but we just did a photo shoot for Wired at the Bulletproof Biohacking Conference, which is oh, kind of cool. Nice. So I'm gonna Sweet. be at least in the online edition, maybe print, who knows? Uh, But I mean, outside Mother Jones, NPR, Playboy, Foreign Policy, like you're kind of a big deal when it comes to to writing, which is awesome. But I did not know that basically your experiences with erectile dysfunction.
2: Sorry about that, man.
1: Uh, that those yeah. were the the source of your career in journalism.
2: Well, not in that month. That month we were all on penis poppers. <laughs> me and thirty other dudes in that in that research trial, and I made money. All right, with my erection. Uh, so, yeah. I had no idea we were going to go there. I thought
1: we were going to go straight to cold showers, and I'm completely confused at this point.
2: <laughs> I'm a hard, I'm a tough interview man. I got, I gotta say, you know, you're doing great. You're doing great. Dude. <laughs> well. What uh, what attracted me to uh,
1: to talking with you is uh, you're in Game Changers uh, mm-hmm. because uh, you've you've done some just cool, fascinating stuff. You're a very curious guy, and because you study anthropology, you're actually a systems guy. Which means like, how did it get to be this way? Why is it this way? And what does it take to change it? Which is kind of cool. So you got into this idea, you know, the what doesn't kill us around human endurance, mm-hmm. and you decided in 2011. Uh, right around the the days when I was uh, starting the Bulletproof blog and I mm-hmm. did a ton of ice baths and and was also into Wim Hof at the time and still am. I, I love Wim, he's, he's a great guy. You're like, I'm gonna debunk this weird Dutch mm-hmm. fitness guru guy who says he can do these, frankly, superhero kind of things. And right. really, mm-hmm. the ability to say, I'm gonna control my body temperature, I'm gonna turn my immune system up and down just by thinking about it, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, I've taken down lots of these, you know, sham guru people. Uh, I'm going to take this guy down. So what did you do?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I had just written this huge article for Playboy about how meditation can kill you, right? Especially for people who get attracted to that idea of superpowers and pursue those superpowers to their like maximum extent. Um, I, you know, I found... Lots of stories of people who, who actually died. One guy who died in the mountains of Arizona who ended up being a book that I wrote called The Enlightenment Trap. Um, and I'd also witnessed people in my earlier life when I was doing meditation in, in northern India and Tibet. I, I actually knew somebody who uh, committed suicide on a meditation retreat in the pursuit of enlightenment. The last lines in her, in her book were in her journal where I'm a bodhisattva, uh, which means I'm basically an enlightened angel. And so I was like super, super um, uh, skeptical, and, he, and and of anyone who pro, who who promises these these um, you know almost magical powers. And when I saw Wim Hof uh, in 2011, Wim Hof was basically a circus act with a very little bit of you know he had like a commercial with Columbia Sportswear that was about yeah. that was what he was known. He, there,
1: he didn't have those science studies around lipopolysaccharide mm-hmm. injection and, and like he's, no. his stuff is legit at yes. least for some people, but some people get frostbite and other stuff too. Just any path, uh, including the Buddhist stuff you talked about, and I, mm-hmm. I've actually um, read that book a long time ago. I mean, I've spent time in Tibet like you. They tell you, if you go mm-hmm. for the fast path, you could get enlightened, you could also die and go nuts. And like mm-hmm. this is in totally. their teaching, because they know it. So yeah, meditation's mm-hmm. not without that risk, although most of the stuff we do in the US is pretty low risk, uh, but not mm-hmm. always.
2: Yeah, so. not all, not always, and I was—I'm very aware of that not always side yeah. of things. You know, I, I lived in India for six years. I saw a lot of people mo- moving there on these spiritual paths, and I just sort of observed. A- Probably my a greater share of insanity than what the normal meditator. Yeah, but you like have a selection bias. Okay. You're <laughs> right. like, I, I, there's something I not right
1: in my life. I'm going to move to India for a long time to go make it right. So you mm-hmm. might have had a greater percentage than average, but also Could've. sometimes people are just attracted there for you a know, beautiful reason and they find what
2: they're looking for and they come back yeah. and change the world. So you're like, flip a coin. Which is it going to be? I, who knows? Right. Totally, totally. But so, 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 you know, put that, that's just to contextualize. Then I saw Wim Hof. He's a naked sitting on an, not naked, he's a shorts on, and he's sitting on an iceberg somewhere north of the Arctic Circle. There's this, this photo of him. And he says that I can train you to control your immune system, to control your body temperature. And I was like, bullshit, (laughs) you're going to get people killed. And uh, and so you know I, I searched around I got a magazine to cover my uh, my flight to go out to go out there and meet him and this was actually his very first organized training session. Wow, ever. that's cool. Uh, I was the first guy on it. Um, there were two other people there, one Croatian and one Latvian, and that was it. Like Wim Hof was really an unknown at this point. Yeah. And so I get off the plane and he looks like this. I mean, when you first meet him, Wim Hof is not an impressive looking guy, right? He's sort of short. He's got a big ruddy nose, big blotched red skin. He was wearing a like a, a felt hat, a green felt hat that made him look like a garden gnome. Like I mean, it, here's <laughs> the deal. Uh, Wim
1: does not care what you think of him. I mean, you know mm-hmm. this because you know him and and, and we're mm-hmm. friends as well. I I really appreciate him as a human being. But yeah, he just doesn't care, which is kind of right. cool and also a little bit off-putting if you don't know what you're getting into.
2: Right. And and I was like, you know, well, this is going to be the easiest job of my life. Like, you know, he's already discrediting himself, and he's also talking, um, what sounds to me like disorganized madness. I mean, I, you know, he's like, we're going to win the war in bacteria. You're going to give me the Nobel prize. And and like he talks in these sort of disconnected sentences. He's and not linear. Yeah. 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 He's, he's sort of all over the place. And so, you know, and, and at this point there's no real science, there's not much science on him. Like there, I think there'd been one one study. Uh, and so we drive, drive out to, to his training center in you know, the mountains of Poland. This is January. At this point I had been living in Los Angeles. Um, so I go from palm trees to the, the winter that, that stopped the Nazi army. Okay. Put that in context mm-hmm. and, and, and we're in the mountains and I get out of, of a car and, and this is, it's like this dilapidated farmhouse and, and it, it, it's like really crummy. Right? And I and I walk upstairs and I look out the back window to you know, store my rucksack, and I see this dude sitting out back. It's not Wim, It's one of the, sort of a guy who just like sort of followed him, um, and he's in his underwear in a in the snowfield throwing snow on his chest, and there's steam coming off of him. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like <laughs> what? Wh- 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 like like and and my mind is not even really thinking about the steam as much as like who is this insane person doing this. And, and, you know, as a journalist, you have a couple options for how you cover someone, right? You can go in there and sit back and say, okay, I will watch you from a distance. I will watch your breathing and whatever. And I will write an article about that. Or you can jump in and and give an experience. And at that point, I hadn't truly decided on which what I was going to do, because I did think it was dangerous. Uh, and then I had this you know, long conversation with Wim at night, we were playing chess and just sort of talking into the evening. And I was like, oh, he is really genuine. Like beneath yeah. that madness, beneath that crazy exterior, there's something which is so pure. And like, he believes it that I was like, you know what, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to do your yeah. stuff. There's not and
1: a, there's not even 1% of con
2: artist and in, in his energy. He, I love no. the way you
1: describe him. He's, he's the real deal.
2: Yeah, right. he, he is. And, and so I do his method and uh, you know the the first time you know it's essentially hyperventilation exhaling, and then breath retention that's mm-hmm. the breathing part of it uh, and you do a bunch of of sessions of this uh and then at the end of that um you 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 do another hyperventilation session, exhale, and then you start doing push ups now at this point, I could hold my breath for maybe thirty to forty five seconds i I timed it mm-hmm. uh, and I could do about twenty pushups you know i'm not a super athlete was not will never be a super athlete, but that's what I could do. And so I do. I just do his breathing, and I'm holding my breath for three minutes after an hour of breathing, mm-hmm. and then and I and I do forty push-ups with no air in my lungs, and they felt easy, and I was like, boom! Like this was the moment where I was like, he has. got, I don't know what he's got, but he has got something, and I really have to learn it. Um, and and then he does this next thing, which is like, all right, now Scott, you know, go out and stand in the snow, <laughs> right? And it's because he because the Wim Hof method is really breathing, um, cold exposure. And then he has this thing called mindset, which is a little difficult to understand. Um, it's not, it's not really well described. Um, so we go out in the snow and the first thing that happens is it hurts. It hurts really badly because yeah. I had never I- intentionally exposed myself to that extreme of a temperature um, change. Uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, and what is occurring physiologically, uh, is, uh, vasoconstriction, which means that all of the arteries in your body have smooth muscle in them and they contract on um, exposure, external exposure. You can't really do it with your mind very easily. Um, I have, if you've never put your feet in snow before, you've probably never experienced that feeling and it hurts and Wim, you know i stand there and for five minutes and i'm just like oh man i do not want to be here and and Wim's like okay you can go inside for five minutes i just like hit my limit and and i said well Wim, this 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 method sucks like i'm not (laughs) like like what like the push-ups were cool but this sucks and he's like and then we go into a sauna right but then i have the opposite reaction which is called vasodilation and the veins pop up sorry the arteries pop open warm blood goes through cold tissue and it hurts even more oh yeah that part sucks Mm -hmm totally uh, and then the next day he's like okay you know next day you'll do it and it'll be better and next day um i'm standing in the snow and i last 10 minutes before i get to that same spot and the day after that it's 20 minutes third uh, fourth day third fourth day it's 45 minutes And on the fifth day i climb up a mountain in my bathing suit with two degrees you know just totally exposed like is the adaptation to that um to the 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 uh, what would look like extreme cold is so incredibly fast uh, that I couldn't believe it, and I and I, I found this sort of power, and you know, he, and the crux of my book is this: is are these superpowers? Is this manna from heaven coming down, and like you're you know you're powering yourself, or is this something else? Is there another explanation? And and what it is is that there is an evolutionary um, powers that we all have, yes. that we all inherited, They're untapped, right we don't touch it we live in our like warm houses it doesn't matter if it's like like 30 or like like negative 20 outside or 120 we have air conditioning and modern heating to keep the to to keep us fine but we evolved as winners like we evolved in constantly varying temperatures and we don't have those variations anymore
1: one of the things that still sticks in my mind uh in fact within actually the same day that i first had yak butter tea when i'm mm-hmm. in tibet Pucha. Yeah. It's uh, it's ten degrees below zero, yeah. And there's a thirty mile an hour wind. Mm-hmm. It's getting a little bit late, and I've got a, a porter with me, and mm-hmm. he's showing off for the young Australian girl who's there. And mm-hmm. okay, this guy's half my size. He's mm-hmm. wearing thin, you know, Chinese knockoff Levi's, fake right. Nikes, mm-hmm. and a vinyl, barely lined uh. leather jacket, like like kind of wanted to be a leather jacket sure. with a little bit of flannel on there. And a t-shirt. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm wearing like a proper parka. I've trained in mountaineering. I understand, right. you know, environmental exposure. And he's jumping up and down on a frozen lake to show off for the Australian girl. And he mm-hmm. falls through up to uh-huh. his waist. Okay, uh-huh. So he comes out of there, kind of laughs a little sheepishly. And I'm like, okay, we got a survival situation here. This guy's wearing cotton, which they say cotton yeah. kills when you're a mountaineering kind of person. Totally. And like, it's, it's, Freaking cold and there's no air and, and like all the bad things you can think of. So I had an extra insulated parka and I pull it out of my backpack and I give it to him mm-hmm. and he looks at me and goes, okay, and he puts it in his basket to carry for me.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally. And, and, I go, and we don't, there's no language, I'm like, no, for you. And, and he goes, he goes, not cold. And I'm like, this guy is a superhuman. It is not possible, he's carrying more than I am. He's running up and down. And mm-hmm. that just blew my mind, and I'm like, either it's a genetic thing, uh, mm-hmm. and there actually is a genetic high-altitude thing amongst, sure, of course. um mm-hmm. the Sherpa people, but even beyond that, like this guy was just made of something different, or totally. he could, and, and mm-hmm. to your point, in, uh, I think it was in Headstrong, I found the research about cardiolipin levels changing over three days. It might even be in in uh, in Game Changers, but... That's why you adapt so quickly is that it takes three days of cold exposure and your cell membrane mitochondrial composition changes cardiolipin levels go up and suddenly your power goes up. I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's always been there, but we just don't know it's there.
2: Right. right, I mean, you know, we, if, you know, if, if you think about the process of illusion, which is basically death after death after death after death, um, we are the ones who lived, right? We are like we are the the boys who lived and the girls who lived, and it, and the reason they lived is because they change quickly, right? It's 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 not the it's not they didn't have the 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 biological systems that said, oh, you know, storms coming, I'll, I'll get ready next month. It's like no, storm's coming, you're getting ready now. And we, you know, we inherited that. Our species is three hundred thousand years old the life on the planet is what about 5 billion multicellular 1 billion roughly. Um, we, uh, inherited the ability to adapt to the environment and, and the fact that we don't do that now. And, you know, this guy, you know, this Tibetan guy is a great example. He probably lives in a generally low technology lifestyle. And, and, uh, you know, probably his ancestors were even more technologically, uh, you know, uh, insulated. Uh, but, but we, um, we now pursue this comfort, this idea of like, oh, my body's a little bit uh, out of homeostasis. So I'm going to flip a button, put on a parka, you know, do something to my environment to make me feel good. But our bodies are not meant to do that. Those are signals. Feeling a little chilly is not the signal of I need to go save myself from Im- imminent death. It's like, oh, my my uh, my metabolism's heating up. No, that's that's actually what that sensation is. And if we pay attention to these sensations, we have some ability to control them and adapt them to our own will. You
1: wrote uh, in, in your book that there's a growing consensus among scientists and athletes that we were not built for eternal and effortless homeostasis. homeostasis. Mm-hmm. Uh, And that we need to kind of stress, not that damages muscles, but environmental and physical oscillations. Yeah. So what other evidence do we have that we really need those oscillations?
2: uh it is really everywhere i mean there's this idea of hormesis which is really quite popular right yeah. which and you've probably written about this yes. right where is you 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 get a stress and that stress is what makes you stronger so you know even just something as simple as lifting weights right and you know i'm not a big weightlifter but if you lift weights that is a stress on your body and then you feel sore afterwards uh, and that that feeling of soreness is actually your muscles forming new connections, tears repairing them, inflammation, which then makes you stronger. Uh, anything in our system that we stress, um, our system has to adapt or it fails. And because we're incredibly adaptable, you know, you have to look at the environment as a sort of of exercise on of on its own, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we usually think about human health as as on two pillars, right? Which is the stuff you put into your body and then the way you move yourself to use that stuff right that that's yep. in general every diet that's out there Um, what, what I've found over the course of, you know, the years of research is that no, there's this third pillar, which is the passive way. The environment, uh, works on you all the time in every way. And those sensations that are coming in. And if you adapt that environment and you now see that there's a three part system, uh, now you have tools that you can use. You can change your environment in a way, like you can go into, into superheated rooms if you wanted to, and that, that trains certain systems and not trains others, um, you know, it's it's truly amazing. You know, you go up to high altitude, you're gonna build more red blood cells. Like, our bodies are so adaptable. Why not engage those systems and try to use them?
1: It makes a lot of sense to me. And this idea that you know, biohacking is the art of changing the environment around you and inside of you. Mm-hmm. It, even your gut bacteria respond to temperature oh, yeah. around you and and oxygen composition in the air. And the whole Upgrade Labs uh, thing that I'm doing, w- breathing air with no oxygen in it or hyperoxygenated and cryotherapy and light right. therapy, all of those are just manipulations. And totally. I, I've reached the point where I believe, Scott, that we can receive some amount of signal from our environment around us, but then mm-hmm. the coldest place on Earth is not as cold as liquid nitrogen. And mm-hmm. the hottest sunlight doesn't have as much red light as what you can get from a red LED light. And there's just so many things where we can trick our bodies by getting a stronger signal than they're supposed to have to cause adaptation to give us those quote, superpowers mm-hmm. uh, that are out there. And there's emerging science in each of those areas, but to pull it all together and say I wanted to live longer or feel better, there's there's definitely a path there that, that scientists are eking out right now. But mm-hmm. e- even without some of those crazy things, you did some stuff that most people would consider superhuman, like 80 push ups in a single breath. You lost well, seven. I p- did
2: 30 breaths first. But yes. Oh, it <laughs> doesn't matter.
1: You know, it's, it's, you hyperventilated first. I get you. Uh, seven pounds of fat lost in seven days. Mm-hmm. And you melted uh, the banks of a river. You're know, sitting around ice and all that, which is a classical Tibetan yep. um, or mm-hmm. even uh, Chinese um, medicine practitioners oftentimes learn how to do that. Totally. But still, mm-hmm. that's a superpower right there. You're controlling your temperature. And you climbed yeah. Mount Kilimanjaro in shorts, which is, okay, so these are all kind of superpower that's, things for, cool. for a journalist, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Put down that pen, man. Yeah, right. No, but I mean, I mean, like, you're not a pro athlete. You know, you're you're no. not a, quote, superhero. Mm-hmm.
1: Although, I guess Superman was a journalist, come to think of, as a news reporter. Hey, yeah. So, yeah, you so.
2: can kick my butt, though. Don't worry. It's like, <laughs> Not. <laughs> um you know, here's the thing. Like you, you said, um, uh, you know, the the cold of liquid nitrogen is colder, absolutely than ice water, and I I see where you're coming from, and I think that there's a. Um, my preference is actually for natural stimuli. Um, not to say that 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 you can't find stuff with like really high tech stuff, but you know, in the the movie of my life, which I'm hoping is going to be um, Rocky IV, uh, which, which has that <laughs> montage in it, right, where where you have Ivan, Ivan Drago on one side, where he's you know the USSR big bad dude, mm-hmm. and, um, and he's he's working out in a lab like and they're injecting him with stuff who knows what that is like and they're measuring everything and then on the other side is rocky who's like pushing wagons through the snow and jumping in water and like doing stuff. it's a great montage you should find it on youtube oh yeah it's great um uh, i i am of the opinion that using the natural world that we have available to us offers off also offers us such an amazing variety and it's free usually that you can just get in there and, and really get a lot of training and, and, and and sensations that are really useful. And when you talk about um, cryo, I have really looked at cryo and I really wanted to like it Um, Mm And the one and, and and having done several sessions now, my feeling is that it's best employed for removing skin tags. If you have like those little skin tags that show up, because yeah. you can freeze them right off. But I actually feel like an ice bath, a proper ice bath around thirty-three degrees, is more intense than than a cryo session. Oh, of course because, it is, because you get more stimulus. The the uh, thermodynamics, it's like way colder because you you actually move heat because because water moves heat a lot better than air does. And you have this air gap in the cryo. Like if you really went down to negative, what, 300 and something like zero Kelvin. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would kill you. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so I, I find them a little bit, um, uh, I, I don't find them as impressive as I, as I have had the experiences in ice bath and going from like a sauna to an ice bath or things like that. What we do, what we see so well eye to eye you and I, and I'm reading your book, I was like, oh man, Dave gets it. Cause I didn't read your book while I was writing my stuff because I don't like reading people who are too similar to me. Yeah, um, it's, because I'm so, like, it
1: soaks in. Uh, uh, yeah,
2: and like, I don't want to sound like you. You sound great. <laughs>
1: when I was writing Game Changers, I had not read Tools for Titans at all. In fact, I sure. still haven't read it. So i I'm like, I, I don't want to, and then I was like, "Oh, good. That was a collection of, of sort of essays from each one, and mine had a, the through line in it." But I was like, "I, I don't want any pollution there," so I, oh, I respect that about it. And it, it is something that a lot of my favorite author friends um, choose to yeah. do.
2: And, and and but so then, I, but then you know, I've, I've written the book, and I and I was reading your books this week um, in preparation for the interview. And the thing that I, I find so compelling about what you're saying, which which we are totally on the. Uh, on the, the, the same page on is that, you know, you are, you are you, you exist in an environment and you create an environment for the stuff inside of you. And that what we're doing by modulating our external world is we're also modulating our internal world. And we sort of sit at this sort of fulcrum point between, um, you know, whatever our mind is, right, is, is just at one place. And then we have these whole worlds below us. mean, you talk about mitochondria and like, what, what's that mitochondria experiencing when I, when I, when I drink coffee, like it's getting a very different message. And then my mind is getting a different, message. but it all adds up to a complex system of who we are. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we, you can take it further and say, all of humanity is connected. All of the world is connected in a, in a big, you know, you could go to Gaia, you could go to, you know, you, you, you can, you can it's just a, it's say it's a like,
1: big system. I mean, we know that's, that's true. Yeah. Right,
2: and and because we're we have our minds and um, we have the ability to manipulate things for our own betterment and hopefully, ideally, betterment of everything. You know, yeah. at, at the end of the day, that make the, the world a better place.
1: You you nailed it, and and it's funny because what I learned over the course of you know having weighed three hundred pounds and having having a chronic illness, frankly, all the diseases of aging before I'm thirty. Mm-hmm. is that I could spend all of my money and all of my time getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. it's a very common thing for people who have you know, Lyme disease or toxic mold or whatever. They get bankrupt right. along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm lucky I spent $300,000 getting better, but I made $6 million mm-hmm. that I then lost. But at least I had enough that I could recover. But right. it's the time. Okay, I'm a dad. I, I do the show. I write the books. Oh, and I'm CEO of a venture-backed company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, I'm looking at What's the ROI on spending 20 minutes in an ice bath, including the time to draw the bath, you know, chill it? And I have a digital temperature controlled ice bath, so I, it's not like it's that hard to do. But I got to In your the, house? Yeah. That's awesome. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I wish I had
2: one it of It has those. a little
1: pump that recirculates <laughs> it. And because the That's water's cool. flowing, it's even worse than a normal ice bath because you don't get a bubble of heated water around you. Totally, either. totally. So it just drains yeah, I'm, you. I'm right. so
2: guilty of like, being really still in an ice bath. Oh, if I move, this gets real bad. So just, you know. <laughs> exactly, and this one you still, doesn't matter.
1: Uh, and, and just to be clear, it is made out of an agricultural stock tank uh, because mm-hmm. that made it cost effective. But I don't use it that often because it takes, whatever, a half hour of rigmarole and I gotta tow off. I get right. three minutes in cryo and I know I'm only hitting my peripheral temperature receptors. It's enough of a right. signal in three minutes that I can mm-hmm. be back on the show within five minutes of when I decide to do it. So I'm sure. looking at the ROI for all these activities, and then you know, do I hit myself with a red light before or after uh, mm-hmm. when, when I do it? Because if I can shrink my cells a little bit with cold and I increase mm-hmm. the number of electrons with the red light, I'll do the red light after, which is probably going to cause improvements in mitochondrial function. So now I got an, a multiplicative effect. And here's mm-hmm. the deal. I'm just so lazy and I have stuff I want to do because I got to play ping pong with my son because he's, he's like about to beat me. Like I, I, I need to get some practice in, right?
2: Yeah, that's true. Uh,
1: and, and so for me, it's, it's that how do I fit these natural methods in that oftentimes take a long time with the stuff that yeah. I actually want to do that isn't natural? Like what we're doing mm-hmm. over, you know, over our mm-hmm. podcast right now, it's not natural, but it's kind of right. cool. How right. do you balance out that, you know, I want to be rustic and I want to do cool stuff?
2: Well, uh, you know, I, I value my time incredibly much more than I do money. Right. And, yeah, and so I, uh, I, you know, I, when I do, I, I don't own a nice bath. I don't own the contraptions for it, but I do have snow outside in the winter. Right. <laughs> and I can go out and, and, you know, when I was writing the book, I would do these shirtless runs around the lake outside of my house uh, and you know, to acclimatize myself to cold and come back and i i I generally think that you should work out in whatever environment is going on outside at the time because while cold is awesome, there's also a bunch of heat things that are really important too, and okay. there's also some nice spring seventy five degree weather things that are also great and and I, I really think that we are connected to our environment and we need to use those signals um, more so than we just need cold although if someone if a friend of mine's drawing an ice bath. Uh, I'm like, awesome, I'm coming to go come over and jump in. So I, I often take opportunities uh, that are available to me, uh, more so than creating them around me uh, in, in a constant regimen with the exception of I do the Wim Hof breathing protocols every single morning, I take a cold shower every single morning, um, I do the pushups and, and that whole thing because that really centers me and, and, and before I start uh, anything.
1: Yeah, having a, a daily practice is also powerful in its own, right? Uh, when you were researching your book, Scott, who are the most memorable people that you trained with? I mean, you're basically growing superpowers. That's what I call mm-hmm. it. So, tell me, like, the two most like I can't believe I did this kind of things.
2: Well, I think Wim Hof is the obvious of one, of course. Right? Yeah. You know, like you know, I hung out with him for a long time, and he is, um, you know, he's amazing. I love the guy. Like. Uh, um, I think he's crazy. I th- I, I don't think he's a, a a prophet. I think he's a madman. But I think that he has opened up the door to a way of thinking about the body that no one else could have. So mm-hmm. mad respect to win. And,
1: and, and here's the deal, just for, for people who are listening to this. The people who are most interesting are so far from average, which mm-hmm. is another word for normal. So it's yeah. totally cool. Like, that guy's nuts, but he did something special. And right. we're going to learn from that. And Wim is a little bit more than nuts, uh, and in, in a good way, like, like he's, he's got mm-hmm. a, some kind of a thing in there that it, it has a spiritual vibe to it. And, uh, totally. but yeah, he's, he's not at all in the same universe that you and I are in, Scott, but that's okay. Right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just, totally. just, I, I don't want and to say anything bad about Wim cause he, it, he does not deserve any, any hits like that, at least not in my assessment of him.
2: Sure. And you know, I'm, I, I find myself pretty fair in Wim in the book, right? Yeah, I, you I, are. I, I, I am, uh, you know, I, I see his, his, Positivity as so, so far outweighing his negative traits, but you always have to also remember that there's this balance. You know, people who are on the extremes exist on this balance.
1: You're also a trained mm-hmm. journalist, which means you will never write a one-sided piece. You, you'll right. always say, okay, even if you're mm-hmm.
2: like, this is the most amazing thing ever,
1: there will be a paragraph in there. And by the way, Quackwatch yeah. says he's a bad man or whatever. Yeah. Um, so well, I
2: mean, yeah, I probably wouldn't go after Quackwatch, well, but yes, no, in, in no, general. No, no, I'm just saying like like as general. a source
1: or whatever, but but you got to yeah. find a counter source. I'm just saying because all the people that I know and respect the most have been uh, targeted by Quackwatch, so I always look all at right. that. They're my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're my favorite like counterpoint. So when I finally got mentioned uh, from the Quackwatch guys, I was like career goal met. That was something I've wanted my whole life, but I'm not a doctor, so I don't really qualify, but they got me anyway. Right. I'm like, thank you guys. Anyway, sorry to, to go off on a tangent there. Totally. But the point is you always find a counterpoint because mm-hmm. you're a trained skeptic and, you, and to write a balanced piece, you must. So even when you're writing about whim, I'd say generally you're pretty positive, but you, you dig for the holes.
2: Well well, also I experience the holes, right? Yeah. I, I, I write I write about my experience. I don't do that whole fair and balance thing oh, you one source to counteract another source. What I, what the way I view it is that if I see something, I write my honest reporting of that. I try not to spin it. Um That's good. there's always gonna be spin. But if I see something like Wim, for instance, we walked up the Mount up Mount Kilimanjaro, um, he did something that could have gotten us all killed. And there was a mutiny and and uh twenty-five of the people Left the the group for uh, and, and I followed him up to the top of the mountain. Wow. That's the end of the book. That's the end of Ma- of of what doesn't kill us. And I'm following up. Everyone has left him. It's just women, and I and one other dude, and we're going up the mountain together. And I'm following him. You know, probably seventy five percent because I'm a journalist. I'm like, well, I got to go see the end of the story. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and the other twenty five is like, okay, well, but I'm also I can do this. And 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 the end of the book is actually quite interesting. And so I'm just going to give it away to everyone who's listening to you as a bonus, um, but you're going to love the journey anyway, <laughs> which is that um, I, I anyone's journey with personal health, with improving themselves is not about another person, right? It's about their own journey. And I realized at some point when I see Wim, he makes a trip at somebody, he sort of stumbles a little mm-hmm. bit and, and catches himself. I'm like, you're not God, you're not a prophet, you're not anything like that. You're just a crazy dude who has this really cool idea. And I'm a crazy dude who who also has this idea, right? And I've and, and and then and then you know I follow up and I realize that look, this is my journey, right? This is my journey. This is not just Wim's journey, and and that is very liberating to, to be able to hold two concepts at the same time: one, Wim is a prophet, and two, Wim is a madman, and say it's all right because we're all like that. We're all flawed individuals in a million different ways, but we can find the good. We can accentuate the good, uh, and that's you know that's the dream. Um, so. So to answer the other half of your question, uh-huh. who were the other people I met who were amazing? Uh, I hung out with Laird Hamilton, the legendary surfer. Yep. Uh, he did his XPT training. I saw a very early stage of it. Um, he's a very inspiring, very intense guy, and uh, you know, mad respect to him. Uh, Brian McKenzie, the founder of High Intensity Interval Training. Um, uh-huh. Uh, he I mean, one of the first hit guys out there. Really, really um, startling intellect on him and determination. Um, you know, uh, really proud to to have um, you know been friends with him even after the book uh, has come out. So that's really cool. Uh, and then you know another fun thing that I did, which sort of ties into some of the, the ways to develop superpowers, is I did this um, like a race called the Tough Guy, which is supposedly the coldest obstacle course race in England. Uh, and they hold it traditionally on the coldest day of the year and people show up and they're in wetsuits. Right. And, and it's like, you know, the normal obstacle course yeah. races, there's mud and nets and all that shit, you know, stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and I, um, and I line up of course in my bathing suit uh, and <laughs> I wish I'd had a speedo, but I couldn't find an American flag speedo. So I was just in a normal bathing suit and, and, uh, you know, the gun goes off and everyone's like shivering and I'm shivering and it, it, I'm like, why am I doing this? And then it, we, we you, go. You and- intimidated everybody. That was why. OK, <laughs> that's just kind of badass. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> um, but I'm um, and I'm a terrible runner. Just incidentally, the guy who won the race did it in like an hour and a half. Right. I took like three and a half hours to finish this race, um, but it's freezing. People are going to this hypothermia tent and I'm running with this like just huge grin on my face, <laughs> um, basically naked. and and enjoying every last minute. And here's the trick that I used, um, which uh, which is that at first I felt that cold on my skin. And I was like, it's there. It's cold. That, that sensation is cold. But I told myself, no, that sensation is not just cold. It's the sensation of the joy that I have of doing this crazy race, of like jumping over things. Because I like jumping over things. I like going under things. I like having those challenges. And all of a sudden, what happened is that it transformed into the physical experience of joy for me and, and heat. And I wasn't cold at all on this, on this trip where other people were having a really miserable time because they think of themselves as fighting this environment. And I'm like, no, I'm just in it, man. And yeah. I gave up any hope of winning. Cause you know, I never, you know, I never really had one. Uh, and then I was just there for the pure experience of it. And then because it wasn't a lethal environment, like I'm not on the moon or anything like that. I'm not in, in, uh, in ice water for, for that whole time. Um, it, it just became this really fun meditation. And, and that, and that's one of the things that I think that is achievable for anyone who, who does these, these methods. You don't have to go climb up Mount Kilimanjaro in super fast time in a super skimpy outfit. Like you can do these things and just use these mental switches to say, look, I have these sensations coming in there. I'm going to create a new association for that. And in, in many cases that can also build resilience.
1: I think resilience is a, is a key word there. And one of the things that I've found in the course of doing neurofeedback to find out what's really going on in my brain is what right. you just described there around struggle. When you stop mm-hmm. struggling, all the effort, the electrons stop. that went into the struggle, they gotta go somewhere and they could go in mm-hmm. towards keeping you warm. But that whole like, I'm fighting against something, it doesn't work very well. Because when you fight against something, right. it usually gets stronger and you get weaker. Right. But if, like you said, you're experiencing it, you're not struggling. You know, you're performing, and you might fail, but at least you're doing it. Right? It, it's kind of a sense of liberation there, and and I think that's yeah. an element to a lot of the stuff in here, where you stop resisting the painful yeah. stuff. I've noticed, like when I'm doing really intense, like roll thing, or when I'm I'm getting, you know, a hundred injections of mm-hmm. stem cells, or or mm-hmm. had my bone marrow uh, taken out for stem cells without anesthesia. <laughs> And it's like, you can be like, ah, you know, in fighter you can just be like, I'm going to welcome this because this is part of the experience. And it doesn't hurt. I mean, it hurts some, but it's Mm -hmm. like 5% as much as it would have been. Right. Uh, And so there's some switch. and You write about something called the wedge. How is the wedge tied to that switch we're talking about?
2: So The Wedge is incidentally the title of my next book, which should be coming out in the future, <laughs> whenever <laughs> that is. Um, uh, I just finished the manuscript and, uh, and you know we're going through those process. But The Wedge is really what I see as the, the heart of the Wim Hof Method uh, and the heart of a lot of training out there, which is that you have a sensation coming in from the environment. Um, and, and that thing is its subjective truth, right? Mm-hmm. the blizzard, right? The blizzard is happening and that hits your skin initially or your sensory system in some way uh, and enters your body. And now in that sensory system, uh, your your senses frame what's coming into your body in some way, just because the neurons, you know, there's electrical impulse that moves through. The, through. And if you talk about pain, like, you know, someone stabbed you in your bo- bone for the bone marrow extra, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where does that pain occur? Does that pain occur in your uh, bone or does that pain occur in your brain? The truth is the pain occurs in your brain. So yep. so it has to actually travel from one location to another to actually be anything. So sensation comes in and it's actually more or less meaningless. It doesn't have a lot of um, intrinsic value. It enters to the lowest part of your brainstem in most path- most pathways uh, and, and it immediately will trigger any sensation will immediately trigger a, um, a homeostatic response. So, if uh, it might change your heart rate, it might change your thermoregulation, uh, might change some immunopathways, um, and that's just like wired, hardwired into like what you are. Um, but it still, doesn't have any meaning. It's just like this is what your brain did automatically, low, lowest level of the brainstem. It goes in from there, and then there's this really fascinating thing that occurs where where sensation goes from meaningless to having to find meaning. It has to look for meaning somehow. And the way we process anything is, is it we, in the, um, what do you call it? The affective nervous system, by and large, we bond our emotional state at the time of sensation to the sensation, and it creates roughly a symbol, like a little package. And that package, um, next time you experience that same symbol uh, or that same sensation, instead of like packaging your current emotional state, it reaches back to that initial emotional state and, and it just relives it so anytime you sense anything, you're actually reliving your past exactly uh, and and so now when you realize that that's the way we work, you can start thinking, okay well if I have a positive emotional, you know, this is also power. I didn't invent this by any way. This has been talking We've been talking about this for thousands oh, yeah. of years, but, but if I have like a positive spin on something as it's coming in, I'm going to have future, better associations with that, that thing and better associations now, and also better outcomes. As long as you don't go down the insanity route, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as long as you don't flip over to the next end.
1: Yeah. I, I found and This is kind of weird. I, I just want to get your take on it. Cause you've dug in on this stuff like I have. So Given that I get really relaxed around any of these sort of things, I, like mm-hmm. I'll find myself going to sleep during rolfing. Okay. If you've had mm-hmm. rolfing, they're like mm-hmm. reaching through your yeah. muscles and all. And, and the the very experienced rolfers I've worked with, like, I've never seen anything like this. Like, you just go to sleep, you wake up an hour later, right. and I could do anything right. I want. I'm like, I don't know, it just kind of happens. But right. I found my heart rate was dropping too low during some of these procedures. So I started mm-hmm. listening to like Jane's Addiction or, uh, Rage Against the Machine or, or some, something like that. I'll yeah, actually turn yeah, yeah. that on headphones to raise my heart rate so I don't just go to Interesting. sleep. <laughs>
2: Which, Interesting. What's your take on that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you're creating new symbols, right? Everything comes down to this neural grammar that we yeah. have. And you have probably gotten to a point in your head where you have a, like a lot of control on your body, right? Yeah. You have, you know, that stimulus is coming. You have a lot of control. You're like, I'm going to go fully, you know, parasympathetic. From, yeah. I'll just know,
1: shut that down.
2: You know, yeah, instead of going from fight or flight, I'm going rest and digest. And because it's happening in your peripheral nervous system, it's not happening in your brain where the actual pain occurs. You've been able to um, rewire yourself, right? And that's, you're a hacker, right? No shock there, right? So you've been able to rewire this and then it, but maybe you pushed it too far. I think I
1: did. Yeah. So I I get a little bit angry when when they're going to do something and then, but I don't really walk in anger. That's not an emotion that I, that I usually sit with. Uh, and if mm-hmm. I do, I usually I'm like I don't want to carry that around. It's too it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll get rid of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe I just need to get but, a little bit more pissed off at the doctor.
2: Well, but but here's the interesting thing about any sort of um, in, in, interference with a, with a system, right? Is that our system craves homeostasis. It craves a place to be, and and um, and and it's going to find it naturally because of the environmental stimulus you have. We have the power, because we're humans, because we're smart, to use interventions. It's something that I call the wedge. You can use other terminology for this as well. You can use interventions to mess with that, to become to a new level of homeostasis in, in another environment. You can train yourself to do that. But it doesn't always mean you're smarter than your body, right? You're, you're like we're, we're try- What yeah. we're trying to do is expand our... Um, if you think about a graph right and and we have this in the center of the graph and, and there's two lines on either side um, that's the zero point and that's like absolute safety and if we move ourselves towards danger on either side there's going to be an absolute point where it's death okay mm-hmm. and, and and our nervous system when we get into that stimulus which causes death eventually it's eventually going to say warning warning, warning watch out and and resilience is getting as close to that, death stimulus without causing damage right um and our and our body is gonna is gonna alert ourselves usually very conservatively be like oh um the temperature in the room is 62 degrees and i am going to die um you're not but your body is going to signal this to you early but then you can modulate and modulate and find that i'm working in this margin until i can get to a place but but at the end of the day in the battle of man versus nature nature wins every time
1: absolutely. Uh, i'm I'm with you there in the into the day. Um, and that's said, nature will listen to this environment, and I'm pretty sure we can do some tricky things in the environment that our bodies mm-hmm. didn't expect, but into the, the day they the body's gonna listen more to nature than to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. I've got. I mean, I swear I could do like three episodes because we didn't talk about very much the enlightenment trap about how meditation can make you go nuts, which is a real true thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we didn't talk about the five years you spent figuring out where you can go to buy organs, bones, mm-hmm. and blood and things like that. So, like you, you go deep, and it's you're 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 a well storied and also a well spoken journalist. It's it's really cool. Like I, I'm a fan Thanks. of your work, Scott. So we didn't go into that stuff, but I do wanna ask you something, because you said sure. you just finished your manuscript of The Wedge. I did. Uh, I am, hopefully tonight, finishing the final, final edits on my next book, also, for submission, okay. because my editor at Harper Wave is really uh, calling me every five minutes. Uh, so I kinda <laughs> gotta get that done. Uh, but uh, this is a book about anti-aging, and my qu- my mm-hmm. quest to live to at least 180. Mm-hmm. And it's okay, I might die trying. and.
2: Here's my. I mean, question. likely you're going to die trying, but you know it's a great goal. It, it,
1: <laughs> the worst I'll do is you know pursue the goal and live better along the way for doing it. So I, I feel like right. there isn't a big downside there. Uh, other mm-hmm. than that, I'll be embarrassed after I'm dead. Oh wait, I won't. So like you, you can't yeah. you can't lose. But <laughs> I honestly think it's an achievable goal, or I wouldn't have said it. Mm-hmm. And my question for you is: How long do you want to live, given what you know about organ trafficking and enlightenment mm-hmm. and freezing your ass off? How mm-hmm. long?
2: Well. So what? this is the uh, I was hoping you would ask this question, Dave. Awesome. I'm going to I'm going to tell you because, you know, I you know, you, you you I think that death is our greatest teacher in the world. Oh, yeah. It, it, and and the fact that we will cease, uh, it creates, you know, and it's, it's, it's going to happen, guys. You know, it, the you end know, of the you're, universe you're, is going to happen. Like we are right. all going to die. I'm with you there. Right. OK, right. We're it, it, And at, at some point, um, you know, and no matter what how it happens i can guarantee you that death comes in the if 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 life was a song the song is going to end in a minor key <laughs> death is going to suck okay and i think we can take these really? as given Did, I mean, yeah it's going to
1: suck have you haven't you seen someone who's like died surrounded by friends at peace like really like i still going to suck
2: still going to suck you think uh, I, I, I still know, think man. that
1: I, talk to some hospice workers there's the occasional the one in 10,000 person who's like I'm dying at peace. Like I, I've maybe, seen that.
2: Okay, okay. Maybe there's this, there's this, but let's just not okay. take that as a given, right? Uh, okay. Not, it is very okay. likely to suck. I'll give you that. Okay. Very likely to suck. Um, you know, with maybe a statistical error that proves the point. Okay. Um uh, fully own that. <laughs> and 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 I think that this is actually if we really inhabit this, and I've seen a fair amount of death in my diet. I was a work correspondent, I've seen I, I've yeah. seen friends die. You know, yeah. I've been in these places and and I think what this happens is when we, and, and Americans are very, very hesitant about death, Yeah. right? We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. We don't, you know, and when it happens, it's like, no one wants to talk to you about it happening because it happened to that person. It's like contagious, you know, it's Totally. Like, we're really messed up around, around death. And, and I think that really, and I saw this internet meme the other day, and I'm just going to repeat it because it was a good meme, um, which is that the goal of life is to die young as late as possible. Yes. Yeah. You know? And 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 I want to you know live my life to the absolute maximum fullest extent as I can. But the goal is not to fully fund my retirement account so that mm-hmm. I can die comfortably in my bed at a late age. Like no, the, the goal is not death, right? And that and and the unspoken um, narrative of our society is that is that. We want to be comfortable up until the end. My feeling is no, we want to have as lot many experiences yeah. as we can now. We want to take risks, even if those risks fail, even if some of those risks could kill us, right? Oh, we yeah. still want to take we still want to take those risks because that is our imperative for being alive in the first place, because you're still going to go out in a minor key. Like that's going to happen. So, in terms of my absolute age, um, you know. Honestly, if I died tomorrow, which I hope I don't, I hope I last a long time, I will already feel like my life has been useful. I yeah. will feel like I've already done things that are great. I still feel like I, I hope I have many more chapters to come. Uh, but I think, you know, when, when, when there's no absolute number, I feel like you have to be good with death right now if you want to live a full you, life. You know what you sound
1: like? You sound like a guy who lived in India for six years.
2: but i wasn't on the spiritual path i hung out in tibet i did i hung out in in north india but like i was there because i was interested in the chaos of india like i was like so fascinated in that but yeah like I, i like there is a spiritual message in all of this and and that's why we push ourselves right that's why you do biohacking it's cuz it's not because the biohacking is the goal right the goal is cuz you want to live an interesting and fun and
1: fun yeah, life. it's the experience like i wonder if that's possible like let's find out if it's not possible or i just don't know how to do it okay mm-hmm. but uh, there's there's joy in discovery right and, and it's right. it's the seeking of joy and i'm with you there and I, I admire what you're saying, which is that, you know, I'd, I'd rather not do it, but y- you sound like you're at peace if it happens, and, and I'm the same way. Th- there, are, there is a contingent of the radical anti-aging crowd, many of whom are my friends, who are death is abhorrent. And mm-hmm. I, I like to think about my, my devout atheist uh, grandfather. And he was on his deathbed, and he looked at my dad, and he said, you know, now that I've lived my whole life and I've you know experienced all these things, and I, I'm just I'm, I'm really I'm really starting to think more about this whole afterlife religious thing. He says, to "My dad," mm-hmm. and my dad's like, "Oh my god, he's going to convert!" And he goes, "And I'm more convinced than ever that it's all bullshit, right?" <laughs> you know, it was like it was just final kind of joke. Uh-huh. But then when he was actually you know in, in his last few minutes, he's like, "You know what? I'm a scientist and you know PhD chemist, wrote for the Encyclopedia Britannica, and you know mm-hmm. storied career." and he said, you know, i've never done this before. So i'm going to mm-hmm. i'm going to be a curious scientist. I'm going to be curious about death. And yeah. he did die. I don't know if he was fully at peace, but he died with his family all around him o- right. of his own choice. He said, you know, i don't want to live on dialysis for the rest of my life because if right. i fight really hard, i might be well enough to watch golf. He's like i'm done. Right. So i'm just right. only drinking wine instead of water. You guys should all come around and like okay, mm-hmm. I, that was a pretty good death, I, I got to say. And mm-hmm. I just remember that I'm going to be curious about it. And, and that's the yeah. the mindset that I'm I'm open to uh, mm-hmm. rather than fear because fear is the mind killer. At least that was a, one of the laws in Game Changers. is that
2: Dune? Isn't that Dune? It is from fear Dune. Is I stole yeah. it straight up from
1: <laughs> Frank Herbert. I did. Uh, but it, it's like you're not going to live well now and you take away from all right. those things that you just valued there. And and mm-hmm. by putting this conversation about how long do you want to live, I want people to learn or to start thinking, what is what does old age look like and what does death yeah. look like, and maybe it's right. different than I thought. And just to bring mm-hmm. some awareness there, because I want a lot of really smart, highly energetic old people to learn from in my life, because they teach me a sure. lot. I mean, we need well, more of know, that.
2: <laughs> there's a have you are you a, fr- a fan of a Sandman series by Neil Gaiman? Yeah, absolutely okay so he has got this great line because one of the characters is death right and she's yeah. like a punk rock girl and she has this line which is um, you know all people live exactly the same amount of time exactly one life and i was like whoa you hit some deep spots yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's so true it's like we, we've got a certain amount of time on earth and 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 we use it as best as we can so if we have a lot of old people who are living really long lives hey that's fantastic. It doesn't mean Kurt Cobain didn't live a great life either, yeah. right? You know, he died at 27. He did I mean, I don't know if I would have wanted to be Kurt Cobain, but he did a lot of cool stuff. And and we can, you know, the goal as you said is it's joy, it's finding abilities and doing things and living the best life you can in the time that we have. So, your friends who are like immortalists, yeah. you know, these people who want to live until the very end of the heat death of the universe or whatever is their mm-hmm. goal is. Like, I find that a little pathological. I find that yeah. a little, a little dangerous because what, what will happen is, is they won't face the things that have on, you know, that every life form has in common, like every single cell creature, uh, all the way up to the most complex a- animals. Um, we all share the fact that we're going to die and that has been the signal, that is actually the signal that controls your nervous system. That's the fight or flight response. That is the rest and digest response. Everything is responding to death, and we need to, I mean, not race towards it, but we need to be like, it's there.
1: But if you wanna extend this back to some of your other work, Scott, Mm -hmm. uh, death is a part of the environment, as in it, it exists. If you remove death from the environment, we have no idea what our biology will do. If you were actually immortal, as in a truck could hit you and it went, you might turn out to be like some big blob of cells. Or I mean, God knows, it, it's kind of an interesting yeah. thought experiment. I have no idea, and it, it actually might be interesting to find out. But I don't think I want to be truly immortal because we've all read, you know, the no. curse of the immortal person. It's like, could someone kill me, please? I'm so tired of being alive. I've done everything. I'm bored. Uh, really? If that ever happens. My real goal is I'd like to die at a time and by a method of my choosing. And at that point, I mean, who can complain? But yeah, the, the end of death itself probably isn't good for human biology, but who knows? No one's ever tried it.
2: Yeah. Well, no, they've tried it. They've all failed. (laughs) (laughs) that we know of. (laughs) That we know of. This is true. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, All
1: right, Scott. This has been a fascinating interview. Your new book that isn't out yet is called The Wedge, but the What Mm -hmm. Doesn't Kill Us uh, book that you've written is is a fascinating read for, for people who are listening who are fans of the interviews with Wim Hof or... Uh, some of the other things you've gone out and you've done some of this thing, some of those things I would call biohacking that has given you those mm-hmm. superpowers, and you write about them. And you did this as a non-pro athlete, as you know, as a journalist, a curious guy who was actually skeptical. So, kudos for your work. I, I think you do a really good job communicating. I, I appreciate your books, appreciate your articles, and uh, appreciate being on the show.
2: Awesome, thanks, Dave. I really have uh, have enjoyed being here.
1: And. You had a link. It was scottcarney.com slash audible. People get some kind of audible yeah, audiobook. So, so
2: here, here's the thing. Um, uh, let's steal money from Jeff Bezos together. All right, it's a deal. So, so he they gave me this affiliate link where if you click on it, and it, right now it's audible.com slash what doesn't kill us, but I'm also going to set up scottcarney.com slash audible. And if you click it, you get 30 days of audible for free, which is cool. Um, and I get $75. And that means we're stealing that money from Jeff Bezos together. Sweet. Alternately, you could just go to Audible or wherever and download it. And that's fine too. All right. really, and, or you can get from the library, read the book. But
1: And, and just to be clear, guys, I, I get nothing out of this deal. I just like Scott's books. So this is just <laughs> a pure on like he does good stuff. If you're going to get
2: it anyway, you might as well go to scottkarner.com slash Audible. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, and all the old social media places, we're all there. Everyone is. You know where to find us in virtual space. C-A-R-N-E-Y is how to spell Carney. All right, Scott,
1: thank you for uh, an excellent interview and your curiosity and your willingness to go to the ends of the earth to figure out cool <laughs> stuff. Uh, I'm a fan.
2: Great, let's do it again sometime. Thanks.
1: Count on it.
0: The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey.